Oh, Father, we are grateful for privilege to be a part of your church, your people. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have given us so much. The death of your son that's made it all possible. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for uh, your people who encourage us in your word. I want to just remember a few folks this morning. Uh, I want to continue to pray for uh, Avenue's Pregnancy Center that's been under a lot of hostile attack from this Occupy LA crowd, death threats even, Lord, to some that work there. And I pray, God, that you would protect them. I pray, Lord, that you would um, cause these uh, people who are persecuting to recognize the folly and what they're doing and to repent, Lord, to come to know you. Lord, give uh, comfort and assurance and security to those who are working there and serving you in that way. Pray now, Lord, as we go to your word, that you would open our eyes to understand the wonderful truths there, that you would help us to know and have insight into who you are as we look at your word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I get older, I find it more difficult to remember things. Um, You know, I'm thankful my wife is there because sometimes we'll be talking about something and I have no recollection at all. And as she's starts expressing some of the things that happened. Oh, yeah, now I remember. Um, But there is one day in particular, 11 years ago on June 27th, that I don't think I will ever forget. Um, Many of you know uh, it was the day our fifth child was born. Many of you have heard her story and how the 20 weeks, uh, the ultrasound had indicated that uh, she probably wouldn't live. And, And if she happened to live, that the physical defects that she had would basically make her quality of life a very difficult um, so we had spent 20 weeks praying, asking questions, uh, wondering what God was doing, uh, and the day came uh, where we uh, went in for a C-section, June 27th, and you know, there's a lot of things I remember about that day. I remember uh, vividly uh, when they pulled her out, my, just, my breath stopped. I remember uh, just listening for a sound, just that whole moment just trapped in time. Uh, would she say anything? Would she cry? Uh, I remember uh, just spending some time with her as she was under the incubator, uh, talking and praying with her, wondering, you know, they still had many tests to do to see if anything, what was functioning within her body. I remember uh, the first time that Tina came into the room that night and held her. And there's another thing, as I, as I went home that night that just sticks in my mind uh, so clearly, was when I got home and listened to the answering machine, got a few things together, there was a brother of mine, not, not a physical brother, a brother in the Lord, who had left a message on the machine. And he was living on the East Coast, and he had called. And uh, this was a man who also had a disabled child and had been a great encouragement to us through, uh, through that trial in our lives. And, and he called, and this is basically what he said. He said, you know, I... I know this is an answering machine, but I think the Lord will hear this prayer anyway. And then he went on to pray. He prayed for God's comfort and peace for us. He prayed for Bree, that God would give her life. He prayed for her spiritual life, that she would come to know the Lord. And you know, it was probably the most encouraging prayer I have ever heard. As that man showed care and concern to lift up our family in a time of need before the throne of grace. Uh, Such a blessing and a precious gift that he gave us of intercession for us. Paul was a man like that. Paul interceded on behalf of his brothers and sisters in difficulties and in trials. And he had such care for for others, not just in how he shepherded, not just in his instruction and in his protection from false doctrine, but he cared for them through intercessory prayer, through praying for them. 
And that's what he does here in verses 15 and 19 of Ephesians 1. So turn there with me to look at uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. You know, he's, he's opened up this letter with the majestic statement of praise uh, to God. Praise to God for our salvation. And in that profound, long sentence that we spent some time going through together, he expounds on the Father's choosing us, the Son's redeeming us, and the Spirit sealing or securing us. What would he say now, after ascending the heights of amazing and rich and deep truths, what was on Paul's mind? Let's put ourselves there in the room with him as he's under house arrest, a a Roman guard there with him, and he's just expounded some of the richest truths that we can find in Scripture regarding God's work and our salvation. What would be next on his heart? Well, let's find out as we look at verse 15 together and see. Paul says there, For this reason, too, I, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of, excuse me, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead? You know, Paul knew he had he had just turned on the theological fire hose with his readers, uh, with the deep truths that expressed about God, about what he has done, about our salvation. And Paul's immediate concern after that is that they would understand him, they would grasp what he had just said, that they would comprehend the the depth and the richness of these truths. And that's why we see here in verse 15, where he begins, for this reason, having expressed his, the wonderful blessings of being in Christ, having discussed the many things that we have now that we know him for those that are saved. Then in verse 15, he says, for this reason, I'm praying for you. And he expresses that prayer. It's another long sentence, 169 words uh, this time. You know, I think my ninth grade English teacher would have a problem with Paul in this regard. She scolded me constantly for my run-on sentences. But, you know, Paul didn't care. He wanted to, and he's overflowing with this desire to, to pray for them. And so he moves toward that with this long sentence. It's a rich, rich truths that are contained within it. And within this prayer, he's given us a model, a method, and a motivation for intercessory prayer. We see the model in verses 15 to 16, his method in verse 17, and then the motivation in verses 18 and 19. Let's first look at uh, Paul's model or his example of intercessory prayer. Again, he says there, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease making mention of you, giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Paul had said back in the very first verse of Ephesians, he called them saints, those who were set apart for God and by God. And here he gives two reasons that gave him confidence that indeed those he was writing to were saints. It says he had heard two things about them, two evidences that they were indeed believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first evidence there is that they had faith in Christ. You see, if a a person demonstrates a trust in the Lord, uh, they follow him, they make him known they have a, 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 um, a habit of loving him, of, of fellowship with him, of praising him. If you see a person like that, you see a Christian. 
The second thing that Paul points out is that he had heard that they had love for all of God's people. If you see a person who cares for his brothers and sisters in Christ, who, who prays for all of them, who sacrifices for all of them, who serves all of them unconditionally, then you see a Christian before you. And Paul here just reminds us, even in this comment, that God's gracious forgiveness that's made possible by Christ's death and resurrection will bear fruit. There will be true and genuine fruit that comes about if one's truly been saved. And Paul here has heard of that fruit. That fruit was so evident to those around the Ephesians that that it traveled a thousand miles from Ephesus to Paul. And he had heard about their testimony. And it's a good reminder for us that if we call ourselves believers, then there will be evidence of it in our lives. There will be evidence of faith in Christ. There will be evidence of love for all the saints. And as Paul reflects on that fact, the fact that they are saved, and as he thinks about what he has said and the blessings of that salvation in the first 12 verses, the previous 12 verses, Paul then gives us this intercessory prayer. And in that gives us an example or a model for us to follow in praying for one another. This is nothing new with Paul. If you look at most of his letters, he included uh, uh, his prayers for them. In Romans 1, 8, and 9, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, for God is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you. Philippians 1, 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Colossians 1, 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1-2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. 2 Timothy 1-3, I thank God as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Even prays again for the Ephesians. They got a special dose of blessing from Paul. He prays for them again in chapter 3. Paul was a man of intercessory prayer. He was a man that that cared for others, right? Because these words here weren't just ones he threw in there to sound spiritual, right? I think they need some encouragement. I'm going to tell them I pray for them. I think once in a while I do, but was he doing that just to sound like he was a caring leader? Did he put these words in here of his prayer because he just wanted to, to add some spiritual tone to this letter? I don't think so. I think this man cared for, for others, so much so that he would beseech God on their behalf on a constant and continual basis. He knew that people needed him to pray for them. He understood that God would not move in their lives unless it was through prayer. You know, Paul, of anybody, understood the sovereignty of God. He understood that God uh, works according to His will in the, in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He knew that, that God would perform His will and nothing could thwart it. But he understood that the means in which God would carry out that will was through prayer. Paul understood that. And he didn't take it as a responsibility that he had to fulfill as an apostle or an elder. People mattered to him. And he knew that if ultimately they were going to grow in Christ, he needed to be praying for them. If God was going to be moving in their life, he had to bring them before God's throne. He understood that that was important. And as I was studying the the text this week, it hit me pretty hard that, you know, a lot of times I don't think I pray this way. You know, I I have my my prayer sheet and and I do pray through that. I I try to faithfully pray for others. but, But I had to ask myself, do I pray because I really care? Do I pray because I believe that, that I must pray so that God would move? Not because there's any power in me, but because that is a means in which God has chosen and desires to, to work within His people. 
Has my intercessory prayer become an obligatory checklist to complete? And I had to be honest and think, you know, at times it does. It is. How about you guys? How's your intercessory prayer for one another? Do you intercede for the saints? Do you say that or can you say that you care enough for others that that they are on your heart, that you do bring them before the father, that you do have others needs and concerns and struggles that are part of your discussion, your conversation with God. You see, Paul gives us this model of intercessory prayer. And yeah, it is, it is a little painful to think about and to reflect on. And it's not my intent here just to, for us to feel guilty about it and do nothing. But I want us to look at how, Paul's pray, how Paul prays, what he prays about and what his motivation is so that we'd be moved to do this. This is so important in the life of our body. This is so important that we are committed to this. I think as a church, there's a lot that God isn't doing because we aren't praying for one another. I think there's so much more that, that God could work in us if we would but go before His throne on a more consistent basis and lift each other up in prayer. I think some of us are stuck in certain struggles and trials because we're not letting others know, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling now. God wants to to work in us as a united body before Him, not these independent individuals that are getting on in life fine just on our own. He wants us interconnected. He wants us to be in fellowship with one another. And one of the key ways to do that is to be praying for one another. It was so important to Paul that he made sure to, to include that, to let them know, to encourage those who are reading his letters. These are what I'm this is what I'm praying for you. How are we doing? How are we doing? I want to see Calvary just blow out this community for the gospel with people who are living lives that are a testimony of God's grace. And I think if we lack in prayer for one another, we are limiting God's work in us. Not because he can't do it, but because he's waiting. He's waiting. Let's look at Paul's model here of intercessory prayer. There's three characteristics I want us to, to look out. Uh, as we look at this briefly, the first characteristic that we see is that Paul prayed frequently. He says there, I do not cease praying for you and giving thanks. He didn't give the, you know, one time, two second prayer, you know, Lord bless those Ephesians and then move on with his day. He didn't stop to, to praying for them. This word, I do not cease is present tense. I'm not stopping. I don't stop praying for you. He said in his letters, the verses that I read, every time, I always pray for you. It is, a, it is a frequent, constant thing that is on my mind and heart. I care enough about you to make your life part of my life on a consistent basis. And that frequency is further seen and emphasized in the two verbs there, giving thanks and making mention. Those are both participles, which are in the present tense, which means they're ongoing activity. Paul's trying to make sure and clear here that I'm constantly in prayer for you. I'm constantly bringing you before the Father. Paul lifted people up in his devotional times. He lifted them up in his times of travel. He lifted them up in his activities even, even when he was occupied. His brothers and sisters were on his mind and heart. Uh, Jack and I had uh, uh, dinner together a few uh, weeks ago, and, and uh, we were talking and uh, just asking him questions, trying to get some uh, encouragement pointers from him and he's talking about you know sometimes when he's when he's preaching he'll actually see certain people and he'll start praying for them even while he's preaching and he said isn't that weird and i thought 
that's happened to me, you know, or even in the midst of this activity, just that, that we can still be praying for one another. I think Paul was doing that. Even in the midst of all that was going on and, and his conversations and things, I think there were others in his mind he would be praying for in the back of his mind. That they were such an important, that was so important to him that it was a constant activity. And then notice, secondly, there, another attribute or characteristic of intercessory prayer that he shows us is that he prays with thankfulness for those whom he is praying for. This is quite interesting. If you look at all of Paul's prayers at the beginning of his letters, one thing that's in every one of them is this attitude of thanksgiving for those he's praying for. He keeps saying, I give thanks to God for you. And he does it here also in Ephesians, constantly giving thanks for them. And you know, I think as we pray for others... If we had an attitude of thankfulness for them, it would really change things. You know, it's one thing to to be praying for somebody, especially somebody maybe that that you struggle with. It's quite another to, to pray for them with this attitude of gratefulness for them. I think especially of those of you maybe in a marriage that's struggling or, or a relationship with your children that's not going well or maybe others in your life that, you know, you just kind of try to avoid. Yeah, you'll pray for them, but is it with a heart of thankfulness for them? Can you imagine how your love for them and concern for them might change not only as you pray for them, but as you say, Lord, I thank you for that person in my life. They are a trial. They are a struggle. They really tempt me to be angry. They tempt me to to sin. But Lord, thank God they're a brother or sister in the Lord. Praise God for that. And one day, yeah, I'm going to be with them all the time. We won't sin against one another. But Is there a concern in your heart for the souls of others? You know, I've been involved in a lot of marriage counseling, and I'll often ask a question, uh, are you praying for your spouse? And usually they'll say, yeah. I say, with what attitude? Are you grateful to God for them? You know, if we went to the Lord in that manner, do you think our heart might change a little bit? I think Paul gives us a great encouraging and helpful example here of intercessory prayer that it's not only lifting others up to God and praying for them, but doing it with a grateful and thankful heart for them. Just think how that would affect your relationship with with those whom you're praying for. Paul also prays not only with frequency, not only with thanksgiving, but also with fervency. That is an eagerness, a passion, a a deep concern, a conviction. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says this, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You see, intercessory prayer should have a, a sense of urgency and importance, shouldn't it? It's a big deal. There should be conviction there. Think of our brother Epaphras as one of the prime examples of this in Colossians 4, which says of him in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you. You know, Epaphras' prayer for others was labor. Not because he dreaded praying, but because praying to him, it was an earnest activity. He cared about the others. He was concerned for their souls. And Epaphras prayed as if, you know, if I don't pray, God won't move. He prayed as if it was all up to him. Now, he knew he wasn't the source of, of, uh, of change in the other people's lives. He knew that God ultimately was doing that. But, but he had a conviction that God would move only through prayer. Do you think God answers prayer? Do you? 
If you do, it will affect the importance and the urgency of that, won't it? It will affect how you feel about as you approach God. I must pray for this person or God will not work in their life. It's not that God is stymied. It's not he's incapable. It's not that he's not powerful enough. He's waiting. He's waiting for, is there a sense of care and urgency on behalf of that brother or sister to pray for that person? I want that. I want my people unified. I want my people caring for one another. I want my people together. I want them to be bringing them before the throne. You know, I love it when my kids, uh, at times they've come and, and expressed, not, they're not tattling, but they, they express a concern for one of their siblings, that something that was said or done, and they come and tell me, not because they're trying to get them in trouble uh, most of the time, uh, but, you know, or they just, hey, this, this thing was said or done, and, and I'm just concerned. And, and I, you know, that, that's the idea here. Let's go before our Father and express our needs and concerns for those that are in Christ and pray for them. God won't work if we don't pray. Calvary won't grow if we don't pray. We won't grow in our relationship with Christ if we do not pray for one another. We have God's Word, and that is what God uses through His Spirit to bring about change. But often the means is through prayer. You know, each week we print out this prayer sheet. And there's many requests in here from people for physical and spiritual needs in their lives. Uh, prayers for others that they know. Uh, prayers for salvation for unsaved family members. It's a, a wonderful tool and resource to be praying for one another. But did you know that, that less than 100 of these are copied and taken each week? And I see more than 100 people in here. Now, either that means that you're trying to save money and you're sharing with one another... Or many of you aren't picking these up and you're not using them. Or if I look at these often, I see about 30 to 40 to 50 requests each week. And again, I see more than 50 people here. You said earlier you believe God answers prayer. Then put them in here and let your brothers and sisters be praying for you. And you take this sheet and you pray for one another. We live like Americans so often. We, we live so independently. We don't recognize the importance of our involvement in one another's lives. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, take one of these sheets and be faithful to go through it. And then add to it. And maybe you have times where a request is too personal or, or at least say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm having a rough week. Or I have an important decision coming up. At least do that and and let God fill in the blanks there as they do pray for you. But if you really believe God moves through prayer, if you really believe God answers prayer, you would put your prayers in there. You would let others know how to pray for you. And I think you may be blocked in your growth with Christ because you're not doing that. Some of you may not want to let others that close into your life. Maybe you're embarrassed about certain things. Maybe you honestly don't believe God will work through prayer. I want to encourage and challenge you in this. Not to feel guilty about it, but to act upon it. God's waiting. He's waiting. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we meet over in this room over here, and unfortunately, we all fit in it. And prayer, every Wednesday night at 7. There's 10 to 20 faithful people, and I thank God for those faithful saints who are praying for one another. But, hey, let's blow out that room. Let's meet in here. Let's be so many of us together that we have to meet in this room. Let's kick Tim and the choir out. 
I love the choir, but I think they'll be okay with that. Can we not think about that? Now, I know many of you are serving Wednesday night in Awana, and, and Brock would shoot me if I told you to, to come over here from there. So I'm not saying to stop that. If you're already serving there or with the youth or, or in some other way, then that's, that's great. I'm not saying to stop that. But I don't think all of us are doing that. I think many of us have opportunity and time to come and to pray for one another. Again, I, I think the fact that we don't have that many people in there, that maybe that's an indicator of where we're at as a church in this. Give that some thought. Consider, how do you use your time Wednesday nights? Maybe there's an opportunity there to, to come and, and be a part of that, interceding for your brothers and sisters in Christ here. I mean, am I off the mark in this? Am I missing something here? Does not God call us to pray for one another? And it's a privilege. You know, when that brother left that message, you, you just you don't know how it impacted me. And there are people here in this body that need to hear that from you. Some that are so struggling so much, they can't go to God on their own. And they need to know, hey, I was praying for you this week. But how are they going to know if you don't tell? Let me encourage you in that way. I just pray that God would move in our hearts to follow Paul's example of intercessory prayer for one another. And not only does he give us a model here, but he also gives us a method. A method of intercessory prayer. And by that I mean, uh, I want to just look at his content. What is it specifically that he does pray? We see that in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, uh, normally Paul refers to the Father as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here he uses a unique phrase where he says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. I think he's hearkening back to uh, verses 3 to 14 a little bit there, where he had that repeated refrain to the praise of the glory of his grace. I think he's still uh, thinking about it, echoing back to our Father as a glorious Father, a magnificent full of glory, and I think also he displays that glory as he answers and moves in prayer. That we see the, the greatness and the majesty of our God as he hears prayer and as he responds to that prayer. And notice the specific content of Paul's prayer there. He says, The Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Wisdom there being knowledge applied, uh, understanding of, of, of instruction that you apply to your life in a manner that would honor God. Having true insight. The word for revelation here is a, a word that, that is to unveil something or disclose something that's previously been hidden. Um, Paul articulates this idea if you go to the next a couple chapters down in Ephesians 3 verse 3. Look there with me for a minute where Paul talks about this idea of revelation and, and mystery. To give us insight into what it means. He says there that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. As I wrote before in brief... And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So there we see this idea of revelation is the, the revealing of a, a mystery previously unknown. It's not something that, that can be discovered by human means. The Holy Spirit needs to bring that enlightenment. And the truth of the Word of God is written by the Holy Spirit through men, right? He inspired the text, and he's the one that needs to bring illumination and understanding of that text as we study and, and read and meditate upon it. 
And I think the idea here that Paul's getting at is this wisdom and revelation is the insight into what God has revealed. And he adds that word spirit in front of it, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. There, there's a few different ways to take that. Some translations in, um, translate it as a human spirit, a little less. And that's how our New American Standard does it. The idea there that it would be a, a human attitude or disposition, like when we say that person has a spirit of humility or a, a spirit of, of timidity or a strong spirit. But I, think, I don't think that that's the case here because of that word revelation. Revelation isn't something that's achieved by human means. It is something that the Holy Spirit needs to bring about. Now some take this passage like the NIV and translates it with a capital S, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation. But the thing is, is that in verses 13 and 14, Paul's already stated that at salvation we were given the seal of the Spirit as a down payment of our inheritance, right? So why would Paul then again be praying that God would give the Spirit? I think here the, the idea that Paul's getting at is, is that insight, that wisdom, that understanding, and only the Spirit can give. It's a spiritual wisdom and insight, a spiritual wisdom and revelation, a spiritual understanding that Paul is praying for. We see this idea in 1 Corinthians 2 where it talks about the importance of the Holy Spirit being the one to reveal uh, what God has said. In verse 12 there, he says, We've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Right, Paul has just revealed in the first part of this chapter these mind-blowing truths, things that are so deep and vast and, and truths impossible to fully grasp and understand. And Paul's now praying, God, may you give them insight into this. By your Spirit, may you help them to understand and reveal to them the amazing depths of the truths that have been spoken. It's kind of like Paul is, has he's brought them to the vault and he says what's in the vault. And now he's given him the key. It's in the key to open this vault. And written on that key are the words in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. You notice here, Paul doesn't pray for more blessing. We don't need more blessing. Paul just said we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, right? What we need is a true understanding of that blessing. What we need is to have comprehension and knowledge and insight in who God is and what He has done and what He has done in us. We need understanding of who it is that has saved us. This is the supreme need of the hour, brothers and sisters. Not, not more books telling us tricks and gimmicks to have a happier life. We don't need more entertainment or hip music in our church services to get us pumped up for God. We don't need more professional counselors to hold our hand every step of the way in dealing with life's problems. We need Jesus. And we need knowledge of Jesus. We need to understand who Jesus is and what he's done. That's why he has given us this remembrance of his death and resurrection and what we did this morning. Because that's what we need. We need to better understand and comprehend that. You know, each time we, we gather for communion, I, before I take it, I look at it and I remind myself... This cracker here represents a broken body, a tortured body. This cup, I look at it before I drink it. It's a symbol of his blood. Picturing it shed for me. I need to to grasp that more, what that is. I need to understand that better. I need to know Christ. I need his spirit to bring understanding, illumination of his truth, of who he is. 
That's what we need to pray for. That's what demands our attention. So many confine their prayers to temporal things, things that perish. You know, our our money, it's going to be gone. Our our possessions, they're eventually going to fade. Our houses, you know, we're not going to live in there forever. When we die, we get put in the ground and somebody else lives in our place. Right? Our jobs, somebody else is going to have that job or it's not going to be around at some point. But our bodies too are temporary, aren't they? They're a tent. They're a dwelling for our soul. But those too will perish. We focus so much on God preserving perishing things. And it's not wrong to pray for that. Please don't get me wrong. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And I pray for you. My daughter yesterday, she broke her, her pinky playing volleyball. Snapped it. It was pointing 90 degrees. Tough kid though, man. I took it and I <laughs> started working it back into place. But she almost passed out, so I stopped. But you know, I'm praying for her. I'm praying God would heal that finger. I'm praying for that pain that she's going through. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I'm praying God would use that to help her grow in dependence on God, to trust Him. You know, it's funny. She's been praying about uh, her decisions and whether or not to, to stay in volleyball during the, uh, during the school year and things like that. Guess what? <laughs> and it hit her, I think, yesterday. That's eternal. She's seeing things through God's perspective. That's what we need to be praying for in the midst of our trials and struggles. God uses them for that purpose that we may know him better. And when we just pray for God to get us out of the trial or circumstance and don't go beyond that, we're missing the point. Again, it's please pray for one another for healing. Pray for one another to to be uh, encouraged in that trial. But make sure to ask God, you know, Lord, use that trial to help them grow nearer to you. Lord, I do pray that you would remove that cancer from their body. But please encourage and help them to have greater faith in you through that. And use them even maybe to share the gospel with those who are suffering the same thing. God may have given you cancer so that you can share him with others who have cancer that don't have other believers in their lives. Think eternally. God may have brought that cancer to you because he's ready to take you home. Or many other trials that we have in our lives. Pray for God's healing. Pray for Him to also move through that trial, through that struggle, through that temptation so that you may grow nearer to Him, so that you may increase in your knowledge of who God is and what He has done. We need to not just pray for God's help, but for God. We need to be praying more to know God. This is eternal life, Jesus said, right? To know Him. And the one whom you sent. Paul then says in verse 18. The eyes of their heart being enlightened. And he's referring here to that spiritual blindness that was removed. That they were given sight to know and understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we talked about uh, earlier in John 9. Some translations such as the New American Standard. They add those words in italics there. I pray that. You see that there? That's because they're inserting them. But I, I think the grammar doesn't allow us to go there. This isn't a second prayer or an additional prayer that, God, that Paul is giving to God. Actually, it, what he's saying here is that, one, this verb enlightened is a participle. So that means it's, it is subordinate to, it's modifying something else. It's modifying give in this case. But also that this participle, the verb tense, is a perfect tense. And that means that it is an event that took place in the past that has continuing results in the present. 
And I bring that up to say, Paul isn't talking about another thing that he's praying for them. What he's saying is, hey, God has, has opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel in the past. And on the basis of that, I'm now praying for you because I know this is a prayer God will move and answer. That you've been enlightened, that you've been saved, that you now have an understanding of the gospel. And so I pray for you. I pray that God would continue to work in you, that he would give you understanding. So that's a basis then for his prayer that since we have already been enlightened, we have the capacity to know God more deeply because his spirit is in our lives. We have been given because we are saved all these tremendous blessings in verses 3 to 14 that he has talked about. Because you've been enlightened, it's all available to you. It's all here. And what are you waiting for, Christian? We all live so, so as if we're impoverished at times, I think. But Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us. Every believer in this room can have a rich, vibrant, amazing, growing life in Christ. If you would but beg God fervently and frequently to give you understanding of who He is, to help you have greater insight into who God is, what He has done, into what He has told us, what His plan is, what His mind is, what His heart is. If we would but move in prayer in that direction for ourselves and for one another, see what God does. You know, you often hear me say, uh, don't wait for the holy zap. Well, I'm telling you this morning, wait, get, pray for the holy zap. Pray that God would, would do that in your life. Wrestle with God. Wrestle with Him in fervency that, God, deepen my understanding of you. Help this message this morning. Help this thing that I am listening to, this Christian music, the, the words that are being spoken. Help this time that I'm spending in your word. Just expand me a little bit, God, to, to comprehend you a little better. Open my mouth wider so that the fire hose of truth that's being shot at me, I can have some a little bit more come in. Broaden me, Lord, in my understanding of you. Broaden me, deepen me in my intimacy with you. That is what we need to be praying for. Now, this doesn't discount your need to be a diligent student of the word. All you want to graduates, what's the theme verse? 2 Timothy 2.15. Be dil- hey, you're better in first hour. Brock actually had to leave the room. He was so embarrassed. Nobody said anything. <clears throat> Be diligent to present yourself as approved to God as workmen, handling accurately word of truth, right? Be diligent. So we're not talking about here dismissing the Bible and just praying. I'm not, please, don't misunderstand me. It's only through God's word that we have the truth and the understanding. But we need to pray that God's spirit will work in that. He won't bless a lazy student, but neither will he bless an independent one. The essence of Paul's prayer here is that you know, every time you open his word, every time you meditate on every time you read it, every time you hear it, every time you listen to a sermon, every time that you are uh, talking with another individual and you're sharing the truths of God with one another, ask God, help me, Lord, to just grab a little more of this, understand it a little better. Give me insight into the knowledge of you. And then in verses 18 and 19, we see the motivation of intercessory prayer. Um, it's really in a purpose statement that, that describes the effects of the results, but, but also as a, as a motivation to us to be pursuing this type of intercessory prayer for one another. He says there, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of the strength of his might? You know, as if as if all the blessings and truths that he's already shared in the previous 12 verses weren't enough. Paul says, hey, there's more. I mean, it's like the, the Ginsu knife commercial on steroids. It doesn't stop at what I just told you. There's more stuff. And here Paul gives three additional uh, insights, three additional effects that result from this fervent and frequent prayer for deeper intimacy with God. The three things that he says there are the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of his power. Now, these are really cool. <laughs> I really uh, was enjoy- enjoyed and was encouraged as I was looking at these this week. That first result he says there is the hope of his calling. One person said man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Hope is so important, isn't it? Because if we don't have it, it can bring despair, can bring depression, a lack of the will to live. You know, I heard an interesting experiment that involved rats being dumped into a tub of water. Uh, One set of rats... These researchers threw in the tub and left there. All of them drowned within an hour. Yeah, I know. Gee, bummer. Um, sorry, if you have a pet rat, I'm sorry. They're just I'm... another set of rats. They threw into the same to another tub of the same dimensions, but they would periodically take the rats out for a moment and then place them back in. And what they noticed was every rat in that second tub uh, survived nearly 24 hours or a little longer than that. And they surmised that, you know, these rats, they recognized they could keep treading water. There's a chance that they might get pulled out. You know, even the, the power of hope is even evident in rats, I guess. How much more so in us? Every person looks for something to hope in, right? Every person is, you know, longing for something to have confidence in, for something to get you up in the morning, for something to motivate you to keep living, Many people put that hope in, in machines. You know, I'm glad what Jim said earlier about, you know, his iPad. You know, I told him, Jim, don't trust that iPad. It's a machine. It ain't going to, you know, paper. That's the way to go. So someday that battery may run out. Can't trust machines. Can't put our complete hope in them. We can't put our hope in money or religion. Or, or There's so many other things that we choose to put our confidence in. But only one has a foundation of hope that can last, that's genuine, that does not fade right only in god do we have a firm foundation of hope but even at times when those trials come temptations come we are frail we are weak we can be tempted to lack that hope in god we can be tempted to think that you know god doesn't care he doesn't care that we are his you know is he going to keep his promises to me i mean i'm sure many of us have been there where it just feels like god isn't around Is he going to be around later? But we need to pray for this spiritual insight in knowing God because it will give that hope. It will help us to know that we have a hope in the salvation that God has provided. You will grow in your confidence that God has chosen you for adoption, that he has forgiven you, that he has redeemed you, that he has laid up for you a future crown of glory, that you have an inheritance waiting for you. It will give you hope to know that you are His, that you can be certain of His promises, that you can have all these riches in Christ. This kind of hope is not something that you can just gen up on your own. 
Something you can just repeat to yourself over and over and eventually it comes. This kind of hope is not something that you can buy. It comes through this fervent and frequent prayer of insight, understanding, the knowledge of God. And it will be a genuine and solid ingrained hope in the heart that the Holy Spirit brings to your understanding and deepens within you as you come to have an intimate relationship with God. Do you want that? Pray. Pray. Another motivation of that prayer is given at the end of verse 18. If we pray for intimate understanding and knowledge of God, then we would come to know the riches of the glory of His inheritance. And it's hard to know whether that it's glorious riches or glorious inheritance, but they're both glorious, so either direction, it's fine there. But this idea of inheritance is not the inheritance that He's given to us. The inheritance we talked about back in verses 13 and 14. Because that inheritance and that reminder and that hope and that is, I think, embedded in the hope of His calling. That's something that we look forward to and are hoping in as part of the hope of His calling. I think here what He's referring to is God's inheritance of us. Because it says they're His inheritance, His possession. I think this phrase there, His inheritance in the saints, Paul is referring here to the church. Because this letter in Ephesians is full of references to the church. All throughout the letter, there's 10, 11, 12 of them that talk about what the church is, who's involved in the church, the blessings that we have in the church, what God has done within the church. I think what he's saying here is that as we pray for a deeper, intimate understanding of God, that we'll gain a greater understanding of his church and the riches contained within it and the value of it. He says the riches of his glory of his inheritance there. I think that word riches there means abundance, wealth, of great value, abundant value. And he's talking about there are two things. He's telling us, one, that it, the church is valuable. So valuable that Jesus in Acts 20, it says he shed his blood to purchase the church. That we matter to him. We're important to God. We have value through the blood of Christ. But also, too, I think what he's telling us here is that the glorious riches of inheritance describes not just the worth and the value of the church to God, but also the wealth found in the church for us. You know, the body of Christ has vast riches that, that God has, has stored up and, and uses within the lives of believers. It is a rich storehouse found in people who have been gifted and equipped and, and taught to encourage one another, to love one another, to come alongside one another, to help one another. To care and serve for one another. The church has great wealth as the pillar and support of truth, Paul calls it in 1 Timothy 3. His word is proclaimed in the church. It is in the church that God's spirit is active. God has given gifted men to shepherd the flock within the church. Other saints are in the church as examples to us. It's in the church that we find help in time of need. It's in the church where we are encouraged to praise the Lord in music and in prayer. You know, when I come here on Sundays and I, I look up and see folks behind me that are singing with joy and a smile on their face, that's an encouragement. That's so rich and helpful to me because some mornings I'm not there. And I look and see it. God has provided that person for me to encourage me to give him praise with joy. If I were by myself at times, I wouldn't be encouraged to do that. This is a rich and wealthy place for our walk with him. And where else could you get breakfast burritos like we got here at church? It's a rich place, let me tell you. 
By the way, guys, Saturday, you can have one of those. God provides resources within his church to help us grow in Christ. That is valuable. Vast riches within this church. And you know, as we pray to God for spiritual insight and wisdom and knowledge of him, then that understanding, I realize more, wow, God has given me so much within his church. He's not only given me a hope of his calling, he's given me resources and wealth and abundance within his people. The church is a glorious inheritance. And finally, the third motivation of praying for God to give us a deep understanding is found in verse 19, where he says the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. And notice he doesn't just say here to know what is God's power toward us, but he calls it the surpassing great power. Surpassing as the idea of extraordinary, incomparable, immeasurable. And then he adds to that the word megathos, which means great. Mega, mega power, mega superpower, overwhelming, unbelievable power. And that power and that understanding, he also adds that phrase there, according to the working of the strength of his might. And there he includes three more synonyms that mean power. If I were to take that phrase and translate it literally, verse 19 would read something like this. So that you may know his incomparably great power toward us who believe according to the empowering of the power of his power. You think Paul's trying to make a point here? God's power is at work in us. He says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Paul says, as we pray fervently and frequently with thanksgiving for one another, to have a deeper understanding of God, of Christ, knowing Him, that we will also begin to understand better the power that that works within us. Remember the Ephesians, where did they live? The easy one, come on. Ephesus, right? What do we know about Ephesus? What was the major trade there? Idols, right? Greek god, Roman god, goddess Artemis, right? There was a huge trade there. And in fact, that ended up, uh, Paul got run out of town by by those who were involved in that trade. Idol worship was, was rampant in Ephesus, as in many of the Gentile and pagan cities. Satan was alive and well in Ephesus. And just picture their thoughts as they saw Paul leaving town that day a few years earlier. The miracle working great apostle Paul is gone now. We're in trouble. They could be tempted to be concerned or or intimidated by the fact that they're surrounded by worshipers of demons. That Satan was was active there. They could be tempted to think, as as Paul realized many believers, that that they were defeated. Or that, that, you know, who can work against this great power that's here? Ephesians 6, 12, Paul reminds them, we struggle not against flesh and blood. I think Paul realized many believers live as if they were defeated, as if they had no power to do anything, as if Satan uh, had greater numbers, as if the world was impossible, had a leg up on Christianity, was impossible for us to win, as if our flesh is so dominant that we are too helpless. Maybe you think you don't have the power or the ability to evangelize or to confront someone in sin or to teach a Sunday school class or to battle disease in your life, or to raise your child in the Lord, or to live as a godly wife, or godly husband, or a godly son or daughter. Listen, that's why this prayer for a deeper knowledge of God is so important. 
Because through that, God will help us to understand better what is really true, that, that there is a mighty power from Him that works within us. Despite what we see, despite what we feel, Paul adds in verse 20, he says, and that's the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand. I think he includes that and, and identifies and tells us about that because he's saying, hey, God hasn't stopped working. That same power that, that raised Christ from the dead and exalted Him is at work in you. God didn't stop and take a nap or relax once the resurrection happened. I think he's trying to remind and encourage us that, that God's power is still at work. You know, God's power in Christ conquered sin. His power in Christ conquered Satan. His power in Christ, the Bible says, has overcome the world. And the power that raised Christ and brought him to glory will get you through this life and into heaven. You'll survive. That power is working within you. If you're his child, not only will you have that understanding of that power, but you'll also come to know the hope of his calling and the glorious riches of his inheritance. I mean, aren't these wonderful truths? They are to me. Oh, that they would be embedded within our souls. Oh, that we would have confidence in God. And if we want that, we need to beg Him. Beg Him often. Give me that spiritual insight, God. Help me to know You. And don't let go until He does. So much more here. I just want to encourage you to be those who are praying frequently, fervently, and gratefully for one another. And let's see what God does. Let's see how He works. I'm going to ask you to break out of your comfort zone a little bit before you go. By way of application, I want us to pray for one another now, to take a moment to do that. I want you to turn to the person next to you and let them know of a spiritual need in your life. And if you're uncomfortable doing that or nothing comes to your mind, then say, hey, can you pray what Paul prayed for me? Now, if you're uncomfortable praying, you can pray silently, but, but pray. And if the person next to you isn't praying for you, don't be discouraged uh, by that. But I, I really want us to take a moment and pray for one another. And if uh, I prefer maybe in, in this instance, not it, it not be your spouse, but somebody else next to you. I won't be looking, so if you do pray with your spouse, it's okay. But um, I want us to break out a little bit from our zones here and be praying for one another. So if, I'll give you a minute or two to, to share that request, to pray for one another, and then I'll uh, close this at the end, okay? So take a moment to do that. Oh, God. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, we, Lord, do pray. We come before you asking that you would move in us. And I I would pray, Lord, and ask you would move in us to be interceding for one another, that you would move in us to be begging on behalf of each other to, to come to know you more deeply and understand your word, understand your truth, know you in a more intimate way. God, I, I want these effects unleashed in my life and in the lives of my brothers and sisters here to know the hope of Your calling, to know the glories of Your church, to know surpassing greatness of Your power that is now at work in us. Lord, I want these things. I want to understand Your blessings. 
to have bestowed every blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Lord, I want to see us as a body, Lord, unleashed with the power of the gospel, the power to change lives that's only found in you. God, may we be men and women, youth, boys and girls of prayer, praying for one another. Lord, deepen our understanding, even of this passage. Give us insight into it. I pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen.